Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Very proud to have you here with us every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And you are, of course, here with us all across the world. And I want to thank not only the East Coast, where I hail from, but the Midwest and the West Coast for listening and watching and for countries all over this fantastic globe, including Spain and Italy, from China to Russia to Mexico and Canada that have been a part of the show, England and France. Thank you for your viewership and your listenership. It really goes above and beyond anything of my wildest dreams, and I appreciate that. We are here inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, and you can find Cafe Kubal on 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, as well as 401 South Salina Street in Syracuse. You can find them at their giant behemoth of a brown stripe building in their double-decker cafe on 343 Fayette Street in Manlius, New York, and, of course, at their drive through on the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in North Syracuse. If this name sounds familiar, it's because it is, because not only does she have the opportunity to hail from the Missouri Valley Football Conference, but also when it comes to the Pioneer Football League, she is the commissioner there. Patty Viverito, a commissioner of two conferences, two conferences with success and two conferences that I appreciate and respect and love the opportunity to be able to talk with. So in this Commissioner Central series, we have the opportunity to continue our discussion with Patty Viverito and this time with the Pioneer Football League. Patty, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, and I enjoy wearing both of those hats that you mentioned. And, you know, and, and and to start there, the uniqueness of that to be able to to be a commissioner with any one of these conferences, and and I, to me, D one, D two, D three doesn't matter. It is an absolute honor and a privilege that if I was a commissioner of any of these, I would be so thankful and grateful for that opportunity. And Patty, you get to, like you said, wear two hats here. How did you somehow pull off the opportunity to be a commissioner times two? And please let me know the secret sauce on how to do it because I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Largely, it's just being, you know, tapped on the shoulder and asked to serve. Um, I was already serving as the Missouri Valley Football Conference um, when the Pioneer Football League was formed. Um, They found a a home briefly uh, in, in the Horizon League, but that was just for one year. Um, the commissioner at that time, John LeCrone, said, uh, I'm, you know, we're not a football league. I don't think we're in the best position to service uh, these schools that are, are trying to do something very unique in the FCS space. Uh, we think they need somebody that is more connected to the FCS football world. Uh, they asked me to step in, which was then year two. And again, I've been doing it ever since. And the reason it's possible is that the two leagues that I represent are are so different in terms of their mission and vision um, that uh, there's really no conflict of interest there because I'm I'm representing two very different leagues um, in ways that don't conflict. And and like you said, they, they found a home in the horizon temporarily. And then there was a creation of the Pioneer. I, I want to... Thank you for all you've done with the Pioneer Football League. I also want to wish the Pioneer Football League, as I believe, if my numbers are correct, a happy 30th anniversary. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, being a part of the Pioneer Football League for the majority of that time, what can you say about, you know, being able to celebrate three decades here in, in the 30th anniversary and just what that means to the strength and, and evolution of this Pioneer Football League? 
Well, the name itself uh, is really emblematic of what this league is all about. Um, Pioneers, um, this group of schools was looking to do something very different in the FCS space. They uh, were going to play non-scholarship football. And while it's true that the the Ivy Leagues also play non-scholarship football, they they do so in, 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 in their space without any uh, intent or aspiration to be part of the playoffs. And, you know, that's different for the Pioneer Football League now. We do send our champion to the playoffs. Um, But, uh, you know, our our institutions had a a vision for, um, you know, creating opportunities for young men to play the sport um, in ways that helped institutions in a unique way. Um, Our institutions in the Pioneer Football League basically sponsor football um, because of what it does for their campuses in addition to the opportunities that it creates for young men to play this sport at the Division One level. Um, you know, they believe in football Saturdays and, and the excitement that it can create, um, but they, they're they trying to do this in a way that is as fiscally responsible as humanly possible, and, uh, and it, it creates a very different model. And when you have a model like this with the Pioneer Football League, and, and like you said, a non-scholarship, a football only here, and still an opportunity to compete in the playoff. To have such a unique thing, and like you said, pioneer the name of the league to truly embody this, what is it like to be the commissioner of this uniqueness and and in a world that seems to be less and less original at times to carry this originality over three decades? Yeah, and I probably need to step back and and go a little deeper into how this league was formed or really why this league was formed. And it goes back to when um, multi-division classification um, for sports within an institution was basically outlawed by the NCAA. And um, if you turn back the clock, uh, Dayton was playing Division III football, and they were winning national championships. Um, and Division three institutions thought that they had an unfair advantage for having the opportunity to be a Division one institution in all other sports and, you know, the benefits that, that accrue to that branding in, in a way that disadvantaged Division three. And so, you know, we had programs that were um, Division two, you know, lower scholarship. Um, Butler was one of those schools. We had Dayton that, you know, was non-scholarship. We had Drake that had been full scholarship dropped the sport for a year to go non-scholarship. I mean, they came at this from very different ways, um, but the underlying commonality for each and every one of these schools was that they wanted to offer football in a way that was as fiscally responsible for their institutions as possible. Uh, You were talking about private institutions that were looking for ways to, you know, to increase male enrollment to increase minority representation on their campus, to create atmosphere, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, with, with football Saturdays and uh, non-scholarship football um, was the vision that the presidents of this league had uh, to create those opportunities. And it's worked out. It's worked out well, uh, so well that um, even though we started as, as a, a six-team league, um, this this league has, has really... Um, embraced the uh, opportunity to expand with like-minded institutions who are committed to the non-scholarship model. And, and we look at that, and I would love to get your thoughts on the evolution of the Pioneer Football League and the members that started this league, as well as to what it's blossomed out to today. 
Right. So it, it, it started with a small group of schools in the Midwest, basically, plus San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we always had sort of we've always been geographically challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, um, institutions that needed to find a home because their their other leagues dropped football as a conference sport, you know, schools like Marist and then other programs that that wanted to either reestablish football or start football from scratch um, have turned to us as an opportunity to uh, to make that possible and you just can't play division one football under any model uh, really with as an independent I mean Notre Dame has done it but Aside from them, it's it's really almost impossible to get a schedule that uh, makes sense um, and, unless you're part of a league. And uh, the Pioneer Football League does that. We just happen to do it across a geography that spreads from coast to coast. And when, when we look at it today, you know, the membership institutions of the Pioneer Football League, to shout them out, uh, Davidson, as well as uh, San Diego, uh, St. Thomas, Minnesota, Moorhead State, uh, Marist, Dayton, Valparaiso, Stetson, Drake, Butler, and Presbyterian. When I say all of those names of of those uh, wonderful institutions that make up the Pioneer Football League, how would you describe what the Pioneer League has become? Like you said, you've been open to expansion, open to to schools that need to find a home with this, you know, constant movement over decades and really more so now than ever. But as things have changed in the NCAA and changed within, you know, the FCS, when you have put this conference together initially, and now that it's almost doubled its institutions, when I say those names, what are some things that are top of mind for you as its commissioner? Well, I think it is a unique opportunity for a lot of young men to play football uh, that otherwise wouldn't be able to. And, uh, you know, I think that that is, that is something that um, I, I'm really proud to be associated with a league that is, is willing to take on, uh, you know, a very expensive sport and try to do it in a fiscally responsible way. Um, we're, you know, we're talking about private institutions where, you know, scholarshiping, um, you know, 63 scholarships at, at, uh, you know, at these private institutions represents an astronomical invent, you know, investment and, and one that these institutions uh, just aren't in a position to do and, and sponsor the sport. And we found enough like-minded institutions to be able to do this in a way that makes sense. Um, and, and again, creates a lot of opportunities for, for young men to play this sport that they love. Speaking here with Patty Viverito, the Pioneer Football League Commissioner on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. And what you just described is really institutions playing for the love of the game. I mean, when when you talk about non-scholarship and you try to have such an expensive sport, which is football, and you're trying to play it while saving, being fiscally responsible... The Pioneer Football League embodies what we feel like sometimes is lacking in collegiate athletics, which is playing for truly the love of the game. Because you have to really love football to try and find a way to keep it and then have this non-scholarship model. So to speak to that, Patty, I would love to get your thoughts on that, of, of having a league that is dedicated to the true love of the game and not just saying that they are. Well, you know, I, I, we've, we've been doing it, as, as you suggested earlier, for 30 years. 
and it's worked for our core group of, of member institutions, and we've attracted others with this model in a way that leads me to believe that we're doing something right um, in terms of creating these opportunities. You know, people look at our geography and kind of scratch their heads and say, you know, how, how can that be fiscally responsible? But, you know, four road games, four home games is what our schedule consists of, and um, what we what we don't invest in, you know, outrageous coaches' salaries or inflated staffs or, you know, Taj Mahal facilities. Uh, we are just talking about a, a basic football program that, as you suggest, and I think rightfully so, that young men are playing for the love of the game. Um, these aren't young men who come to our institutions looking for an NFL contract. They're looking for an education. And I'll, I'll give you one example. You know, we've got a couple of programs that have pretty renowned engineering programs. It's awfully hard to be a student athlete at a Division One program and be an engineering major because of all the, the labs and, and what's involved. You know, we have had great success in recruiting young men who want to marry their love of engineering with their love of football. And our institutions make it work because we're doing things in, in a manner that makes that possible. You know, that we value the student part of the athlete um, equally, student and athlete. And that is something that is extremely important to me, extremely important to the conversations we have had for years on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and, and really everything that I've done is the student and student athlete. How do you make sure that that is a paramount piece to what you do in the Pioneer Football League when you are there as its commissioner and you're speaking with these member institutions, that message that you carry about making sure that we're preserving the student, especially in today's world of collegiate athletics, how do you do that? And, and what kind of is the message right now of making sure that we don't just have a hyphenated word for the fun of it, but that we actually care about the first part of that hyphenated word? Well, I mean, I think we're living it, and we've been living it for three decades. And again, it really comes down to the leadership um, of our institutions, from the presidents, our athletic directors, our, our coaches, and our student-athletes who, who value this model, who value playing the sport of football. Um, but again... Uh, I think that you could go, you know, to, on any one of our campuses and you have student athletes who are there first and foremost to get an education. They just happen to want to also play football while they're pursuing that. And we look at, you know, the strength and the evolution of the Pioneer Football League and, and some history. Obviously, there were those member institutions that were the founding members. And then we see that you know, Davidson and Moorhead State came in in 2001 from being FCS Independence, Ameris joined in 2009, and then Stetson University revived its football program and came in in 2013. And then as recently as last year, we have Presbyterian and the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota coming in in 2021. In the realignment world that we have, just what it means to you to not only be expanding this conference and evolving this conference, this league that you have, but doing it as recently as this past year, just what it says about the Pioneer Football League, that model that you chose and what you've done and how unique you are. And we keep talking to the fact that these institutions believe in it, but to have two institutions in the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota and Presbyterian 
within the past year say, hey, this model not only worked back then, but we like it now and we want to be a part of it? Well, and you know, St. Thomas, you know, came from Division Three, so this was not a, you know, a, a leap for them to make um, without knowing exactly what they were getting into. They were a non-scholarship program before they went to Division One, and so that was a very easy transition for them. Presbyterian, on the other hand, was a scholarship program in the Big South, and um, you know, we we actually have a policy where um, I'm I'm not permitted to. Um, to sort of field inquiries from scholarship programs. You know, we don't ever want to, to to be a landing spot for folks that aren't committed at the outset to the non-scholarship model. Uh, we're not we're not you know out there just to help a Division One program save money. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it has to be a philosophical commitment to what we're doing. Um, what was interesting about Presbyterian is that they were in a situation where they felt that they were they were going to have to drop down to Division Two or drop the sport. And um, it, I got a phone call from the Big South Commissioner Kyle Calander and said, "Will you please consider taking Presbyterian because we would like to keep them as a Division One member in our in our multi sport league, but unless we find a home for them, uh, that in a more fiscally responsible way for their football program, we're going to lose them." And so, the, you know, that became the exception to the rule. And uh, the one time that we've taken a program that was scholarship and and had them transition to non scholarship, and and they did so very successfully. And, and again, now our full members. And you made mention of the Big South Commissioner, Kyle Kalander, who's been a part of this Commissioner Central Series, and we've spent time talking over the last couple of years. When you when you received that phone call and, and he said, listen, we want to keep Presbyterian in our conference with everything else. Can you help us? What made you say yes? What made, I mean, from commissioner com- to commissioner, we, we've talked before about, you know, establishing trust in today's world and making sure that we're working together what what made you even want to field that call and and help out another because you could have easily said Kyle that's your problem not my problem hey have a good day (laughs) you know what 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 makes you want to do that Two things come into play. First of all, I have a lot of respect for, for Kyle. I've known him a long time, and I and I, I trust him. Um, and secondly, it was a win-win. Um, you know, we were happy to take them as as a you know a non scholarship football program, um, as long as they were going to be committed to this this branding of football, this model of football for the long term. And you know, once once they made that commitment, uh, then we just worked through you know sort of awkward transition of going from scholarship to non scholarship, which which was challenging. Um, uh, but they got through it. They got through it successfully, and 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 you know, proud to have them as as a, a full member of the league. Um, you know, they even played in our COVID year <laughs> back in the spring, um, where we gave them a schedule, even though they weren't technically eligible because they still had scholarship players on their roster then. But um, you know, no, we we're all about opportunities and uh wherever we can um create those opportunities um you know we're going to do our best to to do that and you speak on those opportunities and the uniqueness of of st thomas minnesota coming from a d3 institution and reclassifying to division one and be a part of of this fcs what made st thomas minnesota enticing for you enough to do this And, and obviously like you said it wasn't much for them to to look at the model and understand that because they had non-scholarship football. And so they continue to do that with the pioneer football league. But what was it specifically about St. Thomas, Minnesota that made you take a step back and say, you know what, they could really fit into what we're doing and, and fit the mission of what we're trying to be here at the pioneer. 
Well, one of the advantages of being a, a coast-to-coast league, geography doesn't really ever enter into the conversation about do they fit? Yeah. Um, because we are coast-to-coast. And so then you get down to, you know, just the basic question of, of you know, is this, a, is this a peer institution that we, we want to include in, in our family? And in, in every instance, when we've added somebody, the answer to that question was yes. Um, so if you look across our membership, you know, we have, we have very proud and established um, Division I programs that are committed to non-scholarship football. And I know that when, when our athletic directors get together annually, uh, one of the sort of the standing jokes is uh, it's a shame that this is geography because wouldn't it be great if this was an, a multi-sport league? You know, we, we are so like-minded in so many ways. It's a really, really good fit. Um, uh, again, geography aside, which, which makes it impractical. And when you look at that, I mean, obviously travel and whatnot is, is the thing that comes in to question. There's the benefit of being all over the country and having the pioneer footprint really everywhere. On the travel side of it for the institutions here for the Pioneer Football League, how do you address that? And with schools that are obviously wanting to be fiscally responsible, what do you do to navigate that as far as scheduling? Well, one of our principles for scheduling is that we preserve bus trips. And so while you know, some conferences would look to scheduling and at the top of their list would be competitive equity, um, you know, and, and how they create a schedule. Uh, we start with our number one principle being fiscal responsibility. And so, you know, we will, we will schedule those bus trips first and we won't look at the competitive equity as being, you know, the, the primary driver and when we set up our schedules. That coming here from Patty Viverito of the Pioneer Football League, their commissioner here with us inside of our Commissioner Central Series, taking a look at collegiate athletics all around this beautiful country here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. The FCS playoffs, like you said, the Pioneer Football League's champion, their top team, your top team gets to move forward and have representation in the FCS. Davidson got to do that this time around. Just the what you can say about the importance of having that and not only having the FCS playoff model, but making sure that the Pioneer Football League has that place and has that spot because in the FBS world, that is not the case. And if you are at the top of your conference, sometimes it means nothing. So just what it means to the Pioneer Football League to know that bare minimum, you will have that representation. Well, we, we worked very hard with the NCAA um, to expand the bracket to accommodate um the number of teams that you know, every team that that was eligible and wanted to participate in the postseason, that there was room enough in the bracket for that. Uh, there's an NCAA rule that says that at least 50% of the bracket has to preserve, be preserved for at-large participants. And quite frankly, the bracket wasn't big enough to accommodate the Pioneer Football League for a lot of years. It was a driving force to, to expanding the bracket to 24 teams. And it was a win-win. It was a, a, a win for Pioneer Football League, obviously, to have their AQ advance to the playoffs. But it was also a win for the, the scholarship leagues that were already established and that it created a lot of opportunities at the same time. So you know, I'm always looking... Um, for the win-win combinations so that it's not a zero-sum game where we gain and somebody else you know, has to pay for that. 
um, you know, we, we, we created an opportunity where the NCA was able to expand the bracket to accommodate the needs of, of both the scholarship programs and this non-scholarship league that wanted the opportunity. And just to prove that we, were, we, we weren't just an afterthought, um, you know, anybody that uh, looked at San Diego and their success in the opening rounds, you know, for two, two different years, you better not overlook us because <laughs> <laughs> minor football leagues can compete. Yeah, you know, and, and and you said it. I mean, obviously, the expansion to twenty four teams, that's that's a dream, you know, for the college football play. For me, I mean, I just want to see twelve at this point. But you know, when you when you look at twenty four, and like you said, making room for that at large, working with the NCAA closely, how did those meetings go, and what was kind of the timeline of how long it took? Because what you just said to me, Patty, is like a beautiful dream that some people think is impossible. That you sit down, you talk about logic, you want to create space for at-large opportunities, and it doesn't take 37 years and not get an answer. Like you had it, you got an answer, you got this expansion to 24. How did this come about? And bring me into to the room of making this happen, because I love the fact that there was an idea, there was factual evidence to support the idea, and then it happened, because that doesn't always happen when it comes to the world of sports. The reason it happened, the singular reason it happened, is because we had the support of our FCS presidents. They carried the water for us. Um, we we actually had a, a summit, and we invited every FCS conference to bring um, one or two presidents from their leagues to become more familiar with what our, our challenges um, were in, in our subdivision, what our aspirations were, and how they might be able to help us achieve them. And, um, and, and bracket expansion was part of that conversation. Um, greater visibility for the subdivision was part of that conversation. And uh, we worked um, hand in hand with our presidents to make a case to Mark Emmert and the NCA hierarchy, and we were successful. But again, it doesn't happen. It didn't happen. I mean, we've been we've been safe making the same arguments and noise for for years before we were successful. And the difference was that we got the presidents involved and committed, and um, and, and and they have a lot of sway in the NCA governance structure. Yeah, and Patty, how did you do that? How how did it all come together that the presidents, that these leaders, wanted this and and worked together because. That's something that, you know, we brought it up and I'll bring it up again. Trust, community, you know, helping somebody out where it benefits them and it benefits you. And it's not just about you. It's not just about your singular conference. Why do you think it finally came together and the support was finally there across the board to make this work? What are some of the things that the dominoes that were falling over time that you feel led us to a moment where there was this cohesive message and approach to make sure that we got this done? Well, part of the incentive was to make FCS an attractive enough subdivision that we wouldn't keep bleeding losses to FBS, you know, teams leaving. We wanted this to be a destination that people wanted to be part of. And so we we used that incentive, um, you know, to, to sort of, you know, that was philosophically what we were trying to achieve. And then we, we made data-driven decisions. You know, we made a case for the number of postseason opportunities that FBS had versus FCS, uh, the number of opportunities that other sports had um, 
relative, you know, in comparison to FCS. We, we talked about how um, what we spend per capita on a postseason experience for a football player is far less than almost any other sport. And so we used, you know, a data-driven analysis um, to demonstrate that um, it was time to invest more in FCS football. Um, and first we had to convince our presidents, and then we had to convince the NCAA, and uh, we were successful on both counts. Beautiful thing of seeing all of this come together in fairness here, uh, speaking with Pioneer Football League Commissioner Patty Viverito on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Cubal Studios. To go off of that, how would you describe the state of the FCS currently as we are here today? Um, I think it's far more respected um, than it has been even 10 years ago. Um, I think that has in large measure been due to the visibility of the subdivision that's been created by um, all of the broadcasts that are now possible um, through, through digital uh, broadcasting, uh, you know, ESPN plus, I you know, virtually every conference has, uh, has a TV package now at the FCS level and um, people can see our games uh, in ways that in the past it was local and regional interest and now it can be national. And that is, you know, obviously a huge step in, in making sure that it's there for them and it's available to, you know, people all over the world to be able to see this brand of football from the Pioneer Football League. I love that you have the footprint all over the country because it gives you the opportunity to reach so many people from so many different markets and build those connections. And it also gives you an opportunity in the world of reclassification and realignment to always be an enticing home if they fit your model. Is that an open door potential for you that this Pioneer Football League with the constant change of college football that you're always kind of keeping a pulse on expansion, listening, paying attention to the tea leaves, so to speak. How do you look at it? Yes, and I think we've made um, made it very well known um, within the subdivision that um, if, if you're interested in establishing a non-scholarship football program, that a phone call to the Pioneer Football League is where you start. Um, and, and again, we've been very accommodating historically to programs who believe in this model and, and, and need a home in order to make it come true. And so, uh, yeah, we, we have membership on our agenda for virtually every meeting, and uh, we, are, we are very open um, to, to, uh, to, again, like-minded institutions uh, that want to be part of this. And when you say that they are open, is our you know division two and division three like in the case of St. Thomas, Minnesota, is that is that there for you as well to look at, especially division three because of the non scholarship model already? Is is that something that's there that reclassification world that we live in today, and you know conferences looking to other divisions to grow and expand? Is that part of the open door policy? Um. No, not really. That's okay. probably a bridge too far because, okay. you know, we still have uh, a prohibition against multi-division classification. And so the only way that you can be part of a Division One program scholarship or otherwise is to have a Division One conference home. 
And so, for instance, um, you know, we, we wouldn't just take a football program. We would have to take an institution, and that institution is going to have to have a home for their other sports before they land a football league. And so, uh, you know, we are, we are represented by, uh, you know, several, you know, multi-sport conferences from coast to coast. Um, but uh, they have to have a home for all their sports before they can really start shopping for, for a football program. And that's how it evolved with, with uh, you know, St. Thomas and that they were looking to go from Division three straight to Division one. But, but Summit, the Summit League, was, was the, the group that was inviting them to make that, that leap. And um, they had to come to us um, for what they wanted to do for football, and, you know, to keep their football program, their very successful football program. But they also had to find a home for their men's and women's hockey programs. And so uh, you have to piece it together. But the, 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 the baseline is first you have to have a multi-sport league. Yeah, I appreciate that and, and that, you know, giving us the background on exactly what the Pioneer Football League is looking for in different things that uh, need to meet the requirements before the conversation can be had. And this conversation, I more than appreciate, Patty, to have you here on the show to speak on the Pioneer Football League and what you've done to see this expansion continue here, like I said, in, in 2021 with you know bringing in St. Thomas of Minnesota and Presbyterian as well. And what this league has done when it comes to the FCS ranks and the fun that I think comes from this, me looking at the institutions following collegiate athletics for such a long time, I love to see uh, some of these uh, institutional names that I've gotten to know over the years, which is just a, a wonderful tribute and a testament to it, as well as all the states that have gotten involved. So the Pioneer Football League, definitely, folks, if you don't know it, get to know it. And Patty, as always, uh, I'm grateful to have you on the show and getting to know you, your leadership style, and your why out there. And I'd love to end with that. In, in continuing as the commissioner of the Pioneer Football League, what is your why as you go forward? Um, the why is uh, where we started this conversation. It's that it's create opportunities for um, student athletes to participate at the Division One level, and um, and there are you know, there are multiple ways to do that. And uh, the Pioneer Football League offers a rather unique opportunity with the non-scholarship model, the fiscally responsible model that we have created and embraced. And um, I, I think there's there's a place for us in Division One, and I think we've proven that over the years, and we hope that we continue to thrive. 